0: Welcome to the Make It In Design podcast. I'm Beth Kempton, co-founder of MakeItInDesign.com, which is home to one of the longest running online design schools in the world. We help creatives from across the globe to thrive in the design industry. Together with my co-founder, Rachel Taylor, an award-winning design veteran, and our wonderful team, we love nothing more than to inspire creative people to follow their dreams, grow sustainable design businesses, and do what they love. We've created this podcast to bring you interviews with designers who have made many bold moves and followed their hearts in order to thrive as creative professionals. Many of them have learnt life lessons the hard way and they all share their career highs and lows, wins and challenges and their top tips for success. These conversations are gold and you don't want to miss a single episode. So subscribe now, get yourself a lovely cuppa and settle in for an inspiring chat. You can find out more about our much-loved online design courses and private design community, the Live Hub, at makeitindesign.com or come and find us on Instagram at makeitindesign. And so, to today's conversation.
1: Hi there, everybody, and I'm Charlotte Clayton from Make It In Design. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with the super creative Kate Butler. Head of Home and Gift for Oliver Bonus. For those of you who are not familiar with Oliver Bonus, they are a British high street and online lifestyle store. The Oliver Bonus vision is to create inspiring home and gift collections, allowing self expression and to encourage creativity. They believe that their designs go beyond the products to represent a lifestyle and offering Oliver Bonus as an experience. Their team of designers have an exploratory spirit and channel it into their fashion and homeware collections. They are inspired by the alchemy of great design and fresh thinking and belief that design has the power to positively affect how we feel. Today, Oliver Bonus has grown to nearly 80 stores across the UK and Ireland and is run by an amazing team who share a passion for bringing new ideas to life. They have, a fun, and their, they have fun and follow their company values work hard, play hard, and be kind. Kate has always known that she wanted to do something creative as a career, but her route into the design industry was not a standard one as she wasn't a trained designer. However, creativity is intrinsic to Kate. She has a natural affinity to make all things creative part of both her professional and personal life. She has 15 years experience working with aspirational high street lifestyle brands, starting with Conran in 2006 and then moving to Anthropologie and then Habitat. She certainly has a CV of design dreams. As Head of Home and Gift at Oliver Bonus, Kate's role is pivotal to the vision of Oliver Bonus. Her passions in life are travelling when restrictions are lifted more and creating crowd-pleasing recipes. Oliver Bonus is a huge creative inspiration for many of our listeners. And so I'm really thrilled today to find out more about Kate and the Oliver Bonus creative process. A huge welcome, Kate, and thank you for joining me as our guest today. Hi there. Thank you very much. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's lovely to have you. So, Kate, I'm going to kick things off now at the start. You have worked with many creative and aspirational brands within your career. So can you just tell us a little bit more about how it all started for you? And can you tell us a little bit more about your creative backstory?
2: Yes, sure. Um, I, I was always a creative person, a creative child redesigning my bedroom, painting murals on my fitted wardrobes, much to my mum's despair. (laughs) Um, But I grew up in Africa and I wasn't exposed to sort of the traditional design industry that I now am part of and know today. So I always knew I wanted to do something that was creative and that used my love for art and all of that. And it wasn't until I moved um, to the UK that I sort of became aware of what that world looked like Um, so the closest I had was playing with my mum's wardrobe and repurposing all her lovely outfits for (laughs) myself and using lots of crazy colour combinations so I thought I know what I'll go and do a fashion and textile foundation so I went to Campbellwell, which it was an amazing experience but coming from a small suburban African town to the crazy bright lights, creative energy of London and that part of London, Camberwell and the Brixton area, whilst it was a assault on the senses and in some ways so thrilling and exciting, it was also quite overwhelming and I sort of felt a bit swallowed up and maybe even more unclear about what I wanted. So I did that degree, like that course, I finished it, did really well um, and qualified to go and do the full degree afterwards but I just thought I don't think I can do this I think it's not quite right so I then went to do art history at York University which was an amazing experience the collegiate campus the smaller town feel and the more intimate environment suited me much better mm. um, gave me a chance to adjust to use my brain and engage because it was a very it was a very interesting course and it sort of talked so much about all aspects of art design was, and I really loved it but of course once that was finished and I graduated I was sort of almost back to square one going what am I going to do mm. there was no obvious route next mm. so I did <clears throat> sort of float around a bit temping to get some money at various jobs from pr to just basic admin things and it was i was feeling a little frustrated that nothing sort of was obvious to me and then i saw in the guardian an advert at the conran shop for a buying assistant and it talked about it being quite a creative role and i didn't really understand what that meant and what the day to day of that role would entail but i knew what the conran shop was i knew about habitat i'd discovered it in my days at camberwell and I thought, oh, I'm going to try. Um, So I applied just through The Guardian. Um, It said retail experience essential and I didn't have any. But I just thought I'm going to do it because this is the first thing that's spoken to me clearly for a long time. And sort of to cut a long story short, I got the job. Um, And that was the making of this whole career and my love design and product and interiors and homewares it was such an amazing place to start Mm. to be somewhere where the product was so beautiful good design was intrinsic to everything and no one actually really cared about what things cost which was quite liberating because obviously as I've progressed in my career that is something I have to really take into account but in Mm. those early days that wasn't really a constraint so it, it was amazing and just the way the company was set up I was junior and I did a lot of admin and a lot of T-runs, but I also had a chance to get involved and share my ideas and have a creative voice in that process. And it was the most learn on the job kind of thing I could have ever expected. I just, I learned about design. I learned how things were made. I learned how you could work with factories around the world and produce things amazingly from you know a little sketch or an idea that you'd seen from a magazine or technique that you'd come across I just learned how that process of design slash product development worked Mm. um, and it was amazing Mm. Um, and then that set me onto the path of working in that world and then that's when I subsequently went on to anthropology to habitat and ultimately here to Oliver Bonus.
1: Yay and I think it just reiterates really making a bold move like that even though you feel in the initial advert that they'd ask for retail experience just going for it and you know being brave and just think well what what's the worst that can happen and by doing so that led you on your path to be more creative and learning so much
2: yes I'm so glad I did it because I have to say I, I wavered and I wasn't confident and. I sort of walked in there thinking, Oh no, they're gonna, they're just, it's gonna go so badly. They're gonna see that I don't really know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but it was obviously, it was that, that move was the most important one. Yeah. So I'm so happy that I did it and that I had the courage to do it.
1: So, with that in mind, you talk in your bio about not having the as we know a traditional route into design and that you're not a trained designer. But what do you think? other key attributes needed to break into that industry then what was it that you think shone through and what advice would you have for people who are wanting to do the same and I think that I ha-
2: yeah I had a creative flair that was quite powerful and that was part of my identity and I think that's the first thing you need to be a creative and be full of ideas and not too scared to share them and to make mistakes and to have someone go, oh, gosh, that's not a good idea. Um, and I was always confident in the fact that I understood how colour worked together. I understood what aesthetically looked nice. Mm. And I always felt that. So I think that that's the most important thing is having an understanding of what it is to be creative and how colour works together and how, and, and, and how to... to know when something is aesthetically pleasing or not. And if it isn't, what's why? Um, so that is of understanding. But it's also, I think, if you have the passion and drive for something and if you make the effort to find out about it, you can pretty much, I mean, it sounds a bit corny, but you can pretty much achieve mm. most things um, and putting yourself out there and not being afraid to ask questions, to talk to people, to make those contacts. You know, those contacts I made In my early career when I was very, very young, quite naive and inexperienced, ultimately helped me get further. You know, I've gone, you know, I've got other jobs through people I work with. My old boss at Conran, who gave me the initial job, ended up giving me the job at Habitat. Mm. And you know, it's I think it's it's really immersing yourself in that industry and putting yourself out there and keeping those connections and just yeah being passionate about it and having high energy because people will notice and will want to work with you
1: and not being scared about what you believe in as well exactly you know just no matter what the consequence you live and learn by going through those experiences don't you so sometimes they work out sometimes they don't but it's just yeah having that passion to do something like you say just going for it exactly brilliant so I'd love to know a little bit more about the role you have within Oliver Bonus as um, head of home and gift. Can you just elaborate a little bit more about what that job entails? And I know there's so much, but in a in a (laughs) in a sentence,
2: (laughs) yes, of course. So I am head of the design team for the home and gift part of Oliver Bonus. Obviously, as most people will know, there's a fashion part of the business too so that's separate to to my responsibility so i head up our in-house design team there's six of us so it's small and perfectly formed a huge amount of products are designed in house either from scratch from a drawing or seeing a supplier's shape and technique and making changes and tweaks to make it more appropriate to our aesthetic and customer Um, and it is a design-led company which there aren't that many retail, high street retailers out there that, that, uh, that function like this. So it is quite exciting and, and quite unique in, in, in how it works. And I have the exciting job of being part of the team where it all begins. So each season we research and think about what we want Our ranges to look like what we feel the important colours are going to be, what we feel the key trends are going to be. And we're not slaves to trends. We try not to be too led by that. But equally, we do want to be leading. We want to be at the forefront. We want to be thinking about what the customers might be wanting to see, what will be desirable at the time. And you're having to work quite far in advance, you know, about a year and a half, roughly advanced from the concept stage to, when those designs ultimately end up for sale on the website or in the shops. So there's a huge amount of research going with your gut a lot of the time and just pulling together what we feel is going to be sort of the story, the theme that sort of overarchingly sort of hangs everything together. I mean, when, you know, we're quite creative and things happen, we'll need something, we'll need to design something that isn't necessarily part of that and we're not slaves to it, but it helps to have a framework to work with. Um so we start by presenting to the business and our key stakeholders what what that that is going to look like for the season. And then that the buying team, merchandising team go back, go away and think about how they want to build their ranges, what what gaps there are, what we might need. And we work together on building for want of a better word a shopping list Mm. for what we're going to design and then we take that list and we design it uh, using our knowledge about how what factories what countries would be most appropriate what plays into their skill set and those crafts people's abilities and then we do the creating and it's 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 not like anywhere I've worked before where every week we sign off designs and product with Ollie, our founder, Nona. And so there's constantly a flow of newness and ideas circulating. So it's fast paced. It's really creative. um, And I think that is what keeps the energy and the drive up because Mm. you just don't have time to rest and think too much. Um you, you just it's sort of it's quite in the moment, fast paced yeah. way of working. Um and so yeah we cover everything from the product from the beginning to how it looks to the how it comes back from the factories and the samples and all the changes that will be made, the technical drawings, the colour changes, and then ultimately the packaging too, which is very important. We're a home and gift brand and gift is very important. And you know if you're buying a nice present how it's packaged is quite important. So
1: Definitely. That's the process, yeah. So, in terms of creating the story for that season, like where would you start? Like, is it something that you've seen out on the high street or in a gallery or something you've read about? How would you go about leading that main story for the season? It's
2: a mixture of things. As a creative person and a creative team, we're very fortunate in that our jobs don't stop just because we. Turn the computer off or leave the office. We are in these roles because being creative is part of who we are. So, you know, people's brains, my brain is switched on all the time. I'm always thinking, oh gosh, that's a lovely colour. Oh, I'd never thought of putting that together. That's an amazing painting. So we're constantly absorbing what we see around us. I live in London, it's an amazing place to, you know, you don't have to go far to feel that you've seen something interesting. So it's a it's a constant awareness of what's going on around me. But then also, as you say, I love exhibitions. I read a huge amount. I love getting the weekend papers and taking some time over that weekend in the mornings to, to take the luxury to look at them, see what people are doing, read about new designers, artists, anything that's going on in the world. And then the key one, which we have not had much of in the last um few months years of with the whole pandemic is the travel
1: Mm, so pivotal to the process I guess
2: it is because we have to go anyway to see the product in the factories being made to do all of that and that's always where I find my next idea Mm. someone will be doing something and I'll just think that's so beautiful that glaze is amazing I've never seen that or I didn't know you could weave rug in that way there's always something to see to give you an idea and I've really missed not having that I've been trawling through old photos of trips going years back going oh gosh I need an idea and I'm so happy that things have opened up and I can go to exhibitions now and there's just more going on so we're never short of inspiration it just can be harder when you don't have the aspect of the travel, and you don't yeah. have more things to see and do. Mm. It's sort of it's always in there. And sometimes you just have a thing, you just have a feeling that you come across something, you just think, Yes, I could make a lovely story out of that. It would make sense and mm. I could build on it. So it can just be the smallest thing, mm. um, the smallest kernel of an idea. Yeah. And it's just about how you build on it and how you pull things together and, and, mm. and all those visual references to illustrate what you mean. Because it's all in my head,
1: articulating and getting out on a page that everyone buys in is is, is quite hard. Yeah. So thinking about those constraints that you've gone through, you've had to look at alternative ways to pull an amazing range together. Are there some learnings that you're going to take from that process into the future now that you will have more doors open to you for inspiration? But is anything you're going to have as a takeaway that you could use? Now that you won't forget about or would you say revert to the the usual way of working?
2: I think that the thing that we can learn is that I think the world that we live in now is all quite immediate. It's immediate hits of information Mm. and actually taking the time to appreciate being outside. Mm. Go for a walk. Like it doesn't the creativity doesn't have to come from complete visual stimuli all the time it can come from within and from just time to allow your brain Mm -hmm. to process and to think and to be the creative thing that it is Mm. and I really do hope that we don't forget about that and about how the slower pace of life and not rushing around seeing everything doing everything socializing all the time going out all the time I actually think that there is a huge benefit in Mm -hmm. In being a bit peaceful and a bit still and mm. slowing down a bit, so I hope. I mean, I, I I fear that my nature. Maybe in a few years' time, I'll look back and go, "Oh no, <laughs> don't remember the last time I <laughs> stopped, went for a walk, took a deep breath." But I, I think I think it's amazing what we've been able to achieve, and in in some ways, some of the work that we've produced arguably is even better than pre-pandemic because mm. under pressure. In times of crisis, I think sometimes people can bring out their best work and their best selves. So, I hope that we can take some of those with us. Even though I'm very excited to get on a plane and go to India, yes,
1: we're not (laughs) going to deny it. We We all we all want to leave the country at some point. So you talk you talk about pushing boundaries and experimenting. So, which I I feel is very important to the Oliver Bonus brand creatively. So, how important? Is it within your role? And tell us more about how you would go about being more innovative.
2: We have to keep ahead. We want to be leaders, not followers. And I think a brand like Oliver Bonus, obviously, it is different. And there's so many new things to look at all the time. And I think that's why we have the customer base that's so loyal and excited by us. Like we want to make our customers feel joyful and excited. And We cannot rest on our laurels and just keep doing versions of the same. Mm. It's so important to try new things. With that, you, you might get it wrong. And I think that's okay as long as you don't get it wrong all the time. But being able to try something, get it wrong, it means when you do take that risk and try it and get it right, that's amazing. And it is an indescribable feeling how satisfying that feels uh-huh. when you took a risk, you took a bit of a deep breath or, oh gosh, I love it. I feel it's really great, but is, is the ma- more mainstream market and customer ready for this and uh-huh. will it translate? So I think taking risk is a huge part of that, uh-huh. but also our responsibility to trying to have access as as best we can to the most sustainable materials to try and be as conscious as we can about being as kind to the planet as we can as well Mm -hmm. so all of that innovation and keeping ahead comes from how the product looks like and how it's designed but also what it's made from Mm -hmm. and how we can make it last longer and be you know we're working towards ranges that are quite classic and whilst they are interesting and different and quite forward-thinking in two years' time, they're not going to feel dated or out of place in someone's home. They, you yeah. know, it's trying to trying to make people buy things that they want to keep and they want yeah. to cherish. Yeah. So it's trying to mix all those things together and be innovative and forward-thinking and leading at the same time. It's not, yeah. not easy, but I yeah. think it's really important.
1: Would you say that working quite spontaneously can be innovative? Yes. They're not planning as such. But exactly. The- What
2: can happen? You're right. And actually, even though we have to, just by nature of retail, we have to be a year and a bit ahead. The amazing thing about the business model of Oliver Bonus is that you don't have to go through huge amounts of red tape and big conversations to get things done. We can be nimble, we can think on our feet. If we have a really good idea, it doesn't take much to push that through and to get sign off and to get on with it. Um, Other places I've worked, that's had to be a massive conversation and a whole series of meetings. And then by yeah. the time you get there, you've just wasted so much time. Yeah. So it is a like that fast-paced, spontaneous way of working really, really does help drive that innovative side for sure.
1: Brilliant. I'm going to get a bit reflective now. <laughs> okay. But that's okay. Just looking back through your career and some words of wisdom that we can share with our community and um advice. So what steps would you take if you were to make the transition into homeware all over again? Or would you not change anything at all? Would you?
2: So I, I genuinely believe that the path got me there. And even if it wasn't right at the time, it, I grew and I learned. and it all sort of led to where I am now, which is in a job that I love feeling creative every day and i feel so fortunate but i suppose if i was to sort of rub it out and say right i want the mm. same end i want the same end goal but what would i the the main thing would maybe just getting there quicker right um, okay. and and not and not spending so much time with all that soul searching wondering what i should do yeah if i had if i'd maybe just had more confidence to just go for it earlier and not not wasting so much time worrying about what I was going to do. That's really easier said than done because I even now think back to how that felt, that feeling of being lost and not knowing what to do is quite all consuming. And it's not Uh so easy to say, come on, but, but if, if myself now could talk to myself then and say, you know what, just just go into retail, go into
1: home yeah. and design. Just cut out that middle bit. I'd go thank yeah. you for the tip, I will. Yeah, I think we're all guilty of questioning things when back in the day when we're all starting out in our careers, thinking, is it the right thing? Is it what everyone... I know a thing of mine was, is it what everybody else was doing? I wish I hadn't thought about what everybody else was doing and thought about what I wanted exactly. to do. Yeah. So if you could remove all barriers and constraints what project would you do and want to be known only by that project or would you would you want to be known only by that project
2: Um, I think ultimately if I had the complete financial freedom and there were you know as you said all those constraints I, I would like to have my own design company or label that uh that did homewares that was that was that I was completely and utterly in charge of yeah um I love my job but I have a boss and I ha- have to answer to him and if he doesn't like what I'm doing I have to change it and that's just the way it works that's the way you know it's his company he built it that's his prerogative mm. that's his brand that's that's what I would do if I were him too mm. so yes I I would love to do something for myself it's just that's quite a difficult well, I mean it's, maybe it's it's, it's the fear coming in again as to why I haven't. But, you know, but to start again and, and to and to have that financial insecurity for a while while you set it up is a bit scary. And I'm so happy where I am. It's not like mm-hmm. I'm sitting there going, gosh, I need a change. That's not what I feel. So in a way, there's no huge urge to make a big change. But if, if I could and if, if, if constraints all left me completely, yes, I would have my own homeware brand and I would focus on working directly with the most amazing talented craftsmen and women that I have met in my career mm. that just amaze me how talented and how unique their skills are because of course with some access to some of those skills you know whether it be weavers in India or um the ikat the makers of ikat fabric like mm. That they're all really expensive. They're not very suited to High Street. They're never going to sell in huge volume because of the cost. And it's difficult to make them like that. So yes, it would be a small, more boutique, very expensive. A bespoke. Bespoke. <laughs> brand yeah. yeah um so watch this space maybe one day one in the day. very very future once my children are grown up yes. and it give me a the, call, call costs, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> low. Yeah, so yes I will you never know you never know <laughs> what's around the
1: corner so how have you dealt with rejection you touched on the fact that you know when you're, you're working for a, a company and it has to be commercial and it has to suit a consumer need and you feel really passionate about something how do you deal with the situation where sometimes it might not go as planned just for advice for our designers makers out there in the community who are just starting out what advice would you have to deal with um those
2: situations I think it's something you learn I'd say because as my personality doesn't like rejection and I'm very sensitive and I get upset easily and it's not hard to hurt my feelings. Um, And I think that's quite hand in hand with creatives. I think that's probably what most creative people are like. Not all. I know people that are much more able to sort of let it wash off them, but I've got so much better at dealing with it and it just does take practice and realizing it's not personal and that's quite a difficult thing to say because when you're putting all your effort and passion into creating something it actually is personal because it's you it's a part of you in it Mm. but the person looking at it isn't being personal to you it's not a personal attack Mm. it's just trying to make a decision that will ultimately be better for the business and you know this isn't Creating art that you then sell to someone that likes it and it's not for everyone. Like, you know, when you have a business that needs to sell products to make money, you have to appeal to a fairly wide audience because otherwise it's not going to work. And then why you're there becomes question because, you know, ultimately. The company exists to make money, along with a whole load of other things, bringing customers joy, you know. But it's still it's still a business, and it still has to be profitable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just realizing that, you know, you you need to have that commercial quick, like challenge. Yeah. And usually, the challenges come from someone with a commercial head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And probably a lot of the time, they're right. Mm-hmm. But then, what I would also say is. I think instinctively I've learned when I really, really don't want to back down and I really, really care. And yeah. I know when to have that battle and when to fight for it. Yes. And that is only something that you learn through trial and error, failure and success mm. and time. Mm. And sometimes I still don't get it right, but I get it right more than I, more than I did and mm. more often than I don't
1: now, yeah. thankfully. I think it's hard as a creative when you feel so passionate about something that you've designed or created and... Yeah, it's a real sort of stab in the heart sometimes, isn't it, when you don't get the feedback that you're... Yes. But I think ultimately it's, it's all constructive at the end of the day. It, it can it be is. really positive as well as, you know, what? at the time you feel it's quite negative. It, um... You're right. It can be really positive. And actually I'm
2: so grateful to work for a company that you know no one's ever really thoughtless and cruel or unkind Mm. you know if someone's saying that they're not sure it's done very constructively Mm. and you know we are a team it's not just up to me on my own that wouldn't work and frankly that's not really how I would like to work either I need the people around me to to Mm. to be the best that I can Mm. so I think you're right that's a very good point it can. It doesn't. Rejection doesn't necessarily have to be a negative. Mm. So the design might being reject, be being rejected, but it's unlikely. It's completely outright. Mm. It's usually, oh, not quite sure about that color. Or like it's. It's yeah. It's unlikely that it's a complete no with mm. nothing salvageable. Because mm. so I think it's about taking the positives and mm. learning from it, and mm. and also knowing knowing when to stand your ground because sometimes. Yeah. That is very important. And sometimes those commercial heads are wrong. Mm. So, yeah. Easier said than done, though. Yes, I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. You need to have a bit of self assurance as well, don't you? You need to believe in what you're doing. And yeah, I think it's right. So, it's, it's a good balance, really, between knowing when it's a good thing and knowing when you need to put a bit of um, your own energy into it. Exactly. So on the flip side of rejection, how would you celebrate your wins when you have success? How would you? I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a,
2: as basically it's just a massive smile and, and and a renewed amount of energy. And it's shared with my team because... Our successes are shared. We work so closely together. Nothing is my uh, you own. Know, I can't take the success so, by myself. It's never just down to me. It's down to more than me, down to the team that I am so lucky to have. And I couldn't do it without them. Mm. So it's a team success. And we do, we are quite passionate. We will say hooray and smile and whoop uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. express the joy that we feel when we've got it right. It's uh-huh. It's we're all quite a loud, expressive
1: bunch. Mm. Go to the pub, yeah.
2: We we will we will take the time
1: to celebrate yeah. our success, don't yes. you worry? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that goes for a lot of creative people. You know, we like yeah. you know, we do like to make sure that we celebrate together and enjoy those moments. Definitely, we're going to have some thought around some takeaways now for our community and I've got three or four questions I'd like to ask you and see if you can sum them up in a sentence for me if that's okay so the first one being I yes the first one being I deal with imposter syndrome and comparison by remembering that everyone
2: deals with imposter syndrome everyone even the most successful, amazing designer in the world will have felt or will sometimes feel imposter syndrome. Mm. And I've never spoken to anyone that hasn't. I was going to say, if anyone says,
1: I don't have imposter syndrome, I just
2: think... That's not true. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's difficult. And sometimes, you know, when I'm feeling like it's not going my way and I'm just not producing things that I'm proud of and that I like, it, it, it creeps in mm. and it's so easy to look over and compare yourself. But I think I've learned to just take the fact that I've done really well and yeah. I deserve to be here.
1: Yeah.
2: So it's a bit of a mindfulness exercise. Mm. because it's definitely there it's a demon isn't it in most uh, of
1: us yeah a lot of self talk positive self talk exactly yeah to get out of a creative block i i
2: have to change my horizons as in my immediate surroundings mm. i just have to leave my computer leave my house go for a walk go for a run go to do some yoga t- talk to someone read a book i just have to interrupt that block And usually when I then come back, it sort of unlocks slowly. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. it's that, it's that thing about, you know, sometimes when I'm working on a project, like a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it at the moment. I'm trying to design some textiles and I just know what I want it to look like, but I'm really struggling to, to bring it all together. And actually, I'm thinking about it as a whole. I just need to take one step. I just need to just start to put that pen down and do something. Mm. and usually if you take one step try it it Mm. sort of evolves and ends up that you've unblocked it Mm. but it's not it's not easy and I think the best thing to do is to just accept that you've got a case of a creative block and to just do something else Mm. and I love that I have such a flexible work life that if I would like to go and just go for a walk in the middle of my working day that's how I can Mm. As long as I'm not missing an important meeting, I can yeah. sort of handle my time how I want, yeah. and I think yeah. that is very important as a creator to be able to not be constrained by that working day. Mm. Like sometimes you will feel more creative in the evening after yeah. you've had a, a gin and tonic, or yeah. you know, yeah. had a chatter to a friend. Or yeah. so I just, I just need to you know get out of my own head and go and do something else. Mm. And I think.
1: Well, I've got a little creative block now when I was going to ask you the next question. I think just stepping away, like you say, and just not putting too much pressure on yourself about that blank canvas. It's just give yourself some time, come back to it. And it sounds like a cliche, but I always get the ideas when I'm least expecting it. You know, it might be when I'm in the shower or so. You know, so many people say that, but it's so true for me. <laughs> That's when I seem to get my best ideas when I'm not actually thinking about creating something yeah I think because the pressure's been taken away the pressure that you put on yourself
2: yeah so I think I think you're right and so it it usually works is to just give myself a break yeah
1: definitely next question the three words I would use to sum up my creativity are passionate ambitious and thoughtful excellent oh, very profound and success for me is i mean it's
2: quite basic it's enjoying what i do and feeling, feeling fulfilled by that and being surrounded by a team that is energized inspired and also successful mm-hmm. and so that i can see that happiness and i can see that collaboration in front of mm-hmm. me i know that i know that i'm you know, because my role, I I am a creative role, but I also am a manager. And so much of what I do is about how my team are and what they're doing. Mm. And so for them to be happy and satisfied and to be producing amazing work makes me feel very good.
1: Yeah. And that success for you is seeing other people succeed, I guess. Finally, I've just got one last question for you for our community out there. What's the most important advice you have for our listeners today? The one piece of wisdom you would like to share?
2: Try and be true to yourself and not succumb to that pressure of worrying about what you think you're supposed to say or do. And it's taken me a long time to adopt that myself i spent so long trying to sound like i was really cool and mm. that i was on the pulse of the cool design scene you know if you if you feel differently or have a different point of view that's probably quite refreshing no one wants to see of the same sort of people no one wants everyone just saying the exact same thing like how are you going to be original if you just follow a crowd of people so i think it's 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 hard but having the courage to stand out from the crowd and be different
1: brilliant i'm going to take that advice
2: (laughs) and so where can our listeners connect with oliver bonus well so we have our website www.oliverbonus.com we have various social media channels linkedin and instagram our instagram tag is at oliverbonus or if you want to go and see them in person, one of our many shops. So please go and seek them out. The experience online versus in store is quite different and you should do
1: both. Yeah, Brilliant, Kate. Thank you so much. That interview has been amazing, really insightful and really good to get a bit of an insight into yeah. how Oliver Bonus works. And I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Thank you, Charlotte.
0: Thanks for having me. So that's all for today. You have been listening to the Make It In Design podcast and we'll be back soon with more inspiring stories from working designers and other creative people. Until then, check out our free courses and design resources at makeitindesign.com to help you move forward in your own creative journey or come and follow us on Instagram at Make It in for daily colour and pattern inspiration. And don't forget to subscribe to the Make It In Design podcast so you don't miss a single episode. We'll see you again soon.